0: the word i don 't like preaching to slow people. I like active sit on the edge of your seat, eyes wide open, people when we preach the word. Amen, thank you, bro. well, I noticed uh, you know, we 're we're tracking through the book of Acts, and this morning I, I was thinking of us continuing in that study, but I have usually derailed us around Thanksgiving and done a thanksgiving message. And so I've I've chosen to do that, although we're going to benefit from the book of Acts as we do that this morning. But I want to let you know in advance that what I'd like to do is expand this message into this whole week. I hope we always do that with messages, but it's Thanksgiving this week. And so there's this unique opportunity for us to apply an attitude into our lives, not just this morning, not just at a ministry time, not just while we're gathered together, but throughout this whole week. This is Thanksgiving week. So you're gonna hear that word a lot. You're gonna practice some things. You're gonna gather with family. You're gonna eat and enjoy fellowship and connection with others on Thursday. But what I'd like for us to do is to be able to leave here today practicing, skillfully, intentionally practicing the art and craft of giving thanks. And it's good that we have a holiday to do that, but it is, as we're gonna see today in scripture, it is something God calls us to do all the time. So it's not just a November event. For a Christian, it's an everyday event. And if you're honest about giving thanks, You probably are like me, and I need this message as much as anybody here. I don't do it often enough. I don't do it with a heartfelt intention nearly enough, and it's just hard, right? Right. Look at this thought from Jonathan Bloom, a blog post that he recently made. He said, "We are not by fallen nature thankful people. We are naturally very selfish. This was evident when we were children." didn't naturally recognize that the thousands of ways we were served by our parents, siblings, grandparents, friends, neighbors, teachers, and others were grace gifts. It came naturally to us to largely assume that it was their job to serve the all-important us. And if they didn't, out of our mouths came complaints and accusations that, looking back, we wish we Had never said. Now, unfortunately, some of us don't need to look too far back to come in contact with some form of complaining, right? I mean, if you just did a self analysis right now and we had a scale and everybody had to come forward and put on one side the attitude and words of complaining that have come out of your mouth and on the other side the attitude and words of thanksgiving that come out of your mouth over the past year, which, you know, where would your scale go here, right? Most of us, just complaining comes naturally, doesn't it? We can just see stuff that's broke, see things that weren't done right. He says, we had to learn gratitude. This usually began with our parents. They had to remind us to be thankful. When grandma gave us a gift, or we were on our way to our friend's house, a parent would often say, remember to say thank you. And there is our condition illustrated. Remember to say thank you. And so I hope that that's what we will accomplish this morning. So let's pray as we get moving. Lord. Lord, this would be so helpful, so beneficial to us, but more importantly, Lord, so pleasing to you. If the aroma of our lives, the content of our thoughts... The words that came out of us sounded something like thank you over and over and over again. Lord, we would be so well-informed if we had the ability to say thank you. And Lord, you would be so blessed if our heart was eager to say thank you. So Lord, help us today. Give us eyes to see and affect our souls with deep truths that will help us in this measure. In Jesus' name, amen. I wrote there in your outline, cultivating thankfulness may be one of the most significant and healthy things that you'll ever do as a Christian. I know it doesn't seem like, oh, wow, it's powerful and profound. We're just going to cultivate thankfulness. No, it, it, is, it is very significant. The ability to say thank you is very significant. And it's one of the healthiest things that you'll ever do, right? Again, Jonathan Bloom's post, he says, God's command for us to be thankful is a prescription of healing for the disease of our soul-crippling selfishness, right? That's a disease that's in us. It is a soul-crippling disease that selfishness is just simply over-focused on me. And and when that happens, I develop these unhealthy obsessions, right? When When I begin to cave in on myself and my focus is on me, I get obsessed with certain things and I begin to neglect other things. There is an unhealthy comparison that begins to take place when I get overly focused on me. There's an unhealthy sense of fear that enters into my soul when there's an over-focus on me. So, you know, sometimes selfishness comes like, you selfish jerk kind of a feel. You know, somebody uses the word selfish. But listen, there's an unhealthy selfishness that comes into your soul that doesn't feel like you're just being a jerk. It just begins to pervade how you feel about life and how you look at things and how you look at people. So I love that this, this simple thing we're going to learn today, <clears throat> it can rescue me from soul crippling selfishness. It's an invitation to us to see the glory of God's grace that is everywhere. And for the Christian is infused into everything. Everything. The command for us to be thankful is God commanding us to to experience the deep joy of true gratitude for all God promises to be for us in Christ forever. It is profoundly a kind command. Now, two words there stuck in that thought. Significant and healthy. Listen, it, it is significant because you can't truly bring yourself to be grateful, especially in light of the verses we're going to look at. We're going to look at two verses today about gratefulness and and giving thanks. You can't do it without having some very sound theology going on inside of you. You can't be theologically ignorant about who God is, what he's up to, what the big picture is, who you are, and what the future holds. If you're ignorant in any of those categories, well, good luck being thankful you can't pull it off, not in a fallen world. So being thankful is significant. Being thankful is healthy to your soul. Because, I mean, just think about when you are really, really thankful, when you are surveying life and your attitude says, thank you. There's, There's a restfulness in that. There's a peace in that, right? You can be anxious, worked up. It's very hard to be both controlled by anxiety and fears, and at the same time say thank you. So thank you means you have brought something else into the room with you, and you have this sense of peace about you now. And so your soul finds rest. And so it's a very healthy thing for us to cultivate in our lives, a sense of thankfulness. All right, well, you got a picture in your outline there. Well, I think we're going to put it up on the screen here as well. Our study of Acts has afforded us some, some very helpful fill-ins about theology. Right When you're reading, I don't know if you, you realize this or not, when you read the book of Acts, you are reading the actual events and life experience of what's being written about later on. So real life in the book of Acts gets commentary in all the letters that come after it. So if you pick up 1 Corinthians or Thessalonians, or even later on you pick up Peter and read from his lives, there's been life experience for these writers. Paul has been living life. And then he writes about life and answers questions about doctrine and theology and how we view things. So sometimes we've got these verses that we've memorized that we have unplugged them from these people's lives. And what, what Acts helps us to do is it helps us to insert these great big giant belief system things that we've memorized into real life. And so when Paul gives us teachings like we're going to see today, I want you to see his life as well as his doctrine. Because you and I live life and we study doctrine. And if you remove the two from the people in the Bible, you've got a weird thing on your hands. You're trying to live in realities with these really high aspiring ideas. And scripture needs to help us be real with that. All right, so here's what I've done. This is a little bit of a complicated diagram. Is it up here behind me? Yeah. All right, so across the bottom here, this is what you're seeing. You're seeing life's timeline, and I'm just a small piece of it for the Apostle Paul. Life's timeline, life's events, that's what's gonna be, well, actually you can't really see the boxes, but it's the Acts 14, the 1 Thessalonians 5, the Second Corinthians, and the four-year detour. You got life's events, and then you got life's feel right life feels a certain way right? and i've kind of charted that i think from the apostle paul there was highs and lows in how he felt about life he sounds that way in scripture if you read it carefully and you and i have a feel to our lives right and then in the end we have to interpret life there is our interpretation and our attitude all right, so this is how we walk through life. This is how we experience life. Not every calendar date feels the same. Not every event feels the same to us or to different people. Right. All right. Today is November the 23rd, 2014. Hey, just another day. Right. For most. But for one particular person who matters a great deal to me, it happens to be his 18th birthday. So my oldest son turns 18 today. So, yeah. So today, (laughs) he's wanting to kill me at this point. Uh, Today feels very different for him, right, than it does for most of us here. It feels very different for Gina and I. Than it does for him. All right. For us, we're scratching our heads and we're wondering, I don't know if it was last night or this morning, wondering, how did we get to 18 years so fast? How did that happen so fast? So we're we're looking back at 18 years, and for me, the nostalgia is torturing me, right? So uh, I'm I'm feeling one way about November twenty third, twenty fourteen, but that's not how Luke feels, I'm sure, I don't think. I mean he, he's eighteen. He's looking he's looking at life, you know, he's looking at what's coming. And so this event feels different for him than it does for me. For me, it feels like a thousand pounds. Maybe for him it feels like a hot air balloons like I'm about to take off. So life feels different for us in different places, in different elements. And so you've just traveled through a timeline. You were a toddler. You were a teen. You were a young adult. You were an older adult. You were an aging adult. You're going to be attending the senior luncheon today, right? It's some, there's this timeline thing happening. And then there's events that come into that, right? I mean, you were, maybe you were getting married at some point. You're having children. You were, your kids were leaving. You were older, right? You've got events that take place. And along the way, you feel life. But listen carefully, because you can't do what these verses are about to tell us to do. Unless you interpret life, you can't just do life. You have to interpret life. And then when you interpret life, you're going to have an attitude that results from your interpreting life. If you don't interpret life, you're still going to have an attitude. Can I just tell you that? It's just not going to be a thankful one you live in a fallen world. There's just no way you're going to live a consistently thankful life without interpreting life. So here's, here's Paul's doctrine of thanksgiving as we've been looking at his life. And here's where we're going to start two verses. The first one is from first Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18. This is the apostle Paul writing in about 50 AD. So you see where that is on his timeline. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I think the clarifying back half of that statement is pointing to the fact that giving thanks is the will of God for you. Now, there's a managing of God for every moment in your life, but there are, there are activities in our lives that, that were produced by our disobedience, by sinful activities of us or others. So it's not as though God is saying, hey, give thanks for people disobeying God. No, that's, that's not so much that. You're able to give thanks, as we'll see today, in those circumstances, maybe not for those circumstances, but in those circumstances. But this is God's will for you, that you give thanks In every circumstance. That is definitely God's will. Maybe you're asking, well, am I in God's will, out of God's will? That's a complicated question. But it is God's will, no matter how you feel about your circumstances. It is God's will for you to be able to give thanks and not just to be able to give thanks, but to actually give thanks. Now here's an obvious reality. Not all circumstances, though, that's right, all circumstances, not all circumstances inspire gratitude, do they? You guys are living in or have lived in some circumstances where, you know, the natural response is not, oh, thank you, right? It'd be great if that were the case, but there are plenty of circumstances in our lives that inspire things like fear or anxiety and uncertainty. That, that's, what I'm in, that's what it feels like. Here comes life, here comes the event. What I feel like, and it is anxious. That's, that's what I'm feeling right now. Or maybe uh, resentful. There are circumstances that inspire resentment in us. We cannot believe someone would do what they have done to us. Maybe, maybe instead of gratitude, we've been inspired to feel sorry for ourselves. Yet again, our interpretation of an event is we are the victim. We are the neglected one. We are the overlooked one yet again. And I say yet again because, and and I say this caringly, but it's going to offend some of you. Yet again, because if you're prone to look at life and find where you're a victim, then you probably do that a lot. And can I just encourage you to do this. If what I'm describing is you, can you make a counseling appointment? Because you're a terrorist to the people who relate to you. If you are always the victim of things, you you will begin to, and certain personalities, I just see it through the years, lend themselves to do this more than others. So if you have a tendency to do this, you have a tendency to do it a lot. And so what ends up happening is everybody in your life, the new people, the people who have been there forever, everybody has done you wrong. Because you're in the mode of figuring out if life doesn't feel right, it's because I'm the victim of somebody else doing something. Now listen, if you recognize that about yourself, can you just listen to me carefully? If you think you do that a little bit, you probably do it a lot. And the people who live with you are chronically made to feel like they are screwing up your life. Yet again. And you will drive them away from you, which will all the more reinforce that you're a victim. And the cycle just continues. Listen, if you're prone to do that, can, can you please make a counseling appointment? Because God needs to get you off that Ferris wheel so you can just go on in life and be free. Right? But, but that's what life feels like, right? There's moments where this is what life feels like. So, in the midst of feeling life that way, Paul pops in with his doctrine of thanksgiving. He says, In all circumstances, give thanks. Feel like a victim? Give thanks for that moment. Feel resentful? Feel anxious? Feel scared? Yet give thanks in all circumstances. So, so we travel with Paul through his life. What what, what does his life feel like? Got some low points. That come to Paul in Acts chapter 14. You guys might not remember exactly what was happening there, but if I describe that, you'll remember. Acts 14, first missionary journey. The Apostle Paul is going out. He's going to be planting churches. What an exciting thing. What an adventure. I'm sent by the church in Antioch. I'm going to plant churches. And he ends up in this territory with some locations called Lystra and Durb and Iconium. Now, you may not remember this, but if I said those words to Paul, he would cringe because those were not fun places to visit. Those were the places where Paul's words were uh, rejected. There were sort of conspiracy groups that came up against Paul. There were stonings and beatings that took place. This is, this is the situation where, remember, Paul was dragged out to the city gate having been stoned to death. They thought he was dead. They just take his body outside the city. So. This wasn't just uh, some hostile words. Get out of here and don't ever come back. This was, let's kill this guy. And they beat him and put him outside the city. So in this moment, um, Paul's had some tough experience here. This This is a dark place. This is, I mean, be real. The apostle Paul is being sent out on a journey to plant churches. For him, the message of the Christ is Jesus makes sense to him. It it lit up everything in the Old Testament to him. All of a sudden, everything makes sense. I get this. And everybody else, once I explain it to them, they're going to all get it too. Ever feel that way? Like, you've seen this thing. The blinders have come off. And if you just tell somebody else, they're just going to get it too. And what you'll do is you'll explain it to them the same way it made sense to you. That same illustration, that same story, that same Bible passage. Here, and and then they respond not like you thought they'd respond. Hostile, stoning, reject you, don't want to be around you. It's disillusioning. And that's what he's experiencing here. Paul has to live through what you and I have to live through. The, The brochure on church planting didn't... Even have fine print about bloody stones bouncing off your head and you being left for dead outside of Lystra. I don't think that was in the brochure. Right? Have you have you noticed that that life's brochures leave out a lot of details? <laughs> right? I don't know who I was talking to one of the guys the other day about you know a a Disney brochure. Right? You ever see a Disney brochure? It's it's Adults and children, hair blowing in the wind, smiles. It's a party 24-7. It's an expensive party, but it's a party nonetheless. All right, what, what the brochure doesn't have in it, there's, there's no humidity in the brochure. All right, this is central Florida. It's, it's 93 degrees and 98% humid, and you are standing on cement most of the day. In a long line, by the way, you know how come the brochure never has a long line with a kid who's got to go to the bathroom standing in it with you? That—that's not in the brochure, is it? (laughs) There's lots of stuff in life that just the details of the brochure just got left out, right? Getting married. Well, you know, there, I, we saw some wedding pictures, and, uh, oh, man, everybody was smiling. It was, it looked so easy. And then you got married, right? <laughs> you realize, wow, oh, this is a little different than the smiling bride in the magazine. <laughs> right, there's reality in these places. Having children, right, all the whew, little babies, ooh, Ooh, little babies, I think that's for grandparents. Ooh, little babies here, raise them. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're trouble now. Here, take them back home with you. Uh, there's challenges in these settings, there's realities in these settings. I was just uh, got a text last night from Jason uh, about, about college life the realities of college life, right? I mean, we. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go off to college. And how exciting is that going to be, the college life? I'm so grateful that we have a ministry on the campus of Tulane. Let me just give you a Tulane update. This is, this is what Jason had sent to us last night. Uh, just in this brief semester from late August to, to right now, three deaths of, of Tulane students, three. Two by suicide. One by a uh, drunken accident. It's not a giant campus. Ministry is taking place Friday night. Uh, the bridge is there on campus and they're meeting in one place in the student union and then in another place in the student union, a, a gen, I don't know what to call it, a gender confusion party is taking place with people who are very confused about their own gender but it was kind of a drunken party from what it sounded like there on campus. You know, the brochure of college, it's a college life, it's a college experience, but it's, it's filled with pressures. I mean, these are people going to college who have lived in a culture that has said, education is your God. It will deliver you from life. It will provide for you life. And so all this pressure Gets on college students. Well, the brochure doesn't advertise that. You got young people going to college, and the pressure of that—they just end their life because of the pressure. And listen, the brochure is going to be a little bit different than the real thing when you actually walk through the timeline in your life and experience life. I mean, you're getting older, and you're looking to retirement, and you know there's issues. You know there's. Concerns and worries: do you have enough to retire? Are you going to be able to make it on your income when you retire? And the responsibility and weight and concerns about that are, are the stories. These are real stories. You know, a couple that lo- just loved them. They were in the church for years. They had planned on retirement. They're in their 60s. They were moving. They're in the process of preparing to move to a retirement community, and the husband died without notice, without health concern or problem. And next thing you know, she's a, she's a widow. And now no retirement community that for us to go enjoy together, right? But this, is, this is the reality of the brochure. And, and yet into that, the apostle Paul says, in all circumstances, give thanks, right? Life is gonna have some tough moments in it, right? Real tragedies, live bullets are going to go off. Right? At, at, at some point, Paul is trafficking through the book of Acts with remembrance of Stephen having been stoned to death and James having been beheaded. Right? These are real tragedies that have to sit under the umbrella of the idea that the apostle Paul just spoke to the Thessalonians and said, in all circumstances, give thanks. James was just beheaded, Paul. In all circumstances, give thanks. Stephen is dead. Yes. In all circumstances, give thanks. Right, if we travel a little farther with Paul to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. If you want to turn there with me to this passage. This is... Uh, probably the darkest description of the Apostle Paul's life that you can find anywhere. Let's read from verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you suffer in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Do you have a category for the apostle Paul or does he just always ride a white horse with a lot of armor on and carry a torch and a big sword and a Bible? And every moment in every place, this guy's got his A game going. See, listen, if you read your Bible that way, uh, the only way you can walk away from that moment is feeling like you're a low life, you're a heel, you don't got any spiritual game because everybody in the Bible is always doing it. Right. Right. Well, you're not reading the Bible. You read it very weirdly. This was utterly despairing of life itself. He's not making this up. This is how life felt at this moment. Indeed. We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Right now, Paul's writing about a season in his life, right? Some kind of a low, dark period. What's unclear in this passage is the two elements in the first part, life's timeline and life's events. It's not clear because Paul doesn't spell it out. Paul, when did these events happen? When did you feel this way? He mentions Asia, so we kind of have a general job, but he was in Asia a couple of times. So it's unclear time-wise where this is. It's unclear what the events are in this category. We don't really know. Was this when he was almost stoned to death and almost died outside of Lystra? Or is this something that happened in Ephesus when he was there a couple of years? All right, so we don't know. What we do know is this. We know how life felt for this man. So we don't know the timeline, don't know the events, but we do know how life felt for him, right? This is what it felt like. It felt like affliction, sufferings, patiently enduring, burden beyond our strength, despairing of life itself. That's a good progression, right? When you get to the place, and listen, all of us have been there because we we sort of take God to court sometimes, don't we? With this concern, I am burdened beyond my strength. I cannot bear this, God. That's what Paul felt like. He had great theology, but he looked at his life and he said, I can't bear up under this. Therefore, he ends up despairing of life itself. Now, if that's you or ever have been you, you're in good company. You're in good company with the apostle Paul. Now, you must do and I must do what the apostle Paul does in this moment. And this is where the wheels come off. Where the wheels come off for me. It's if, if I find myself when life is feeling like this, I'm burdened beyond my strength. There are no answers. There are no solutions. I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources. I can't fix this. When I start feeling like that, I, I you know, I tend to just buckle up and wait for circumstances to change. Hopefully these things, right? I didn't quote a Bible passage. These things too shall pass right? So you just kind of, let me just hold my breath and make it to the end. But yet the admonition of Paul is that in all circumstances, give thanks. So in the moment where you feel overburdened, unresourced, and in despair of life itself, give thanks. That's a little complicated now, isn't it? Because the way life feels doesn't feel like I want to give thanks. But the Bible's not waiting for you to feel like you want to give thanks. It's trying to inject something here to help you give thanks anyway. And Paul helps us with that, right? Verse 6, we learn about Paul's suffering. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. right? If I'm experiencing discomfort, it's because God's up to something right now that's going to work out in your lives to bring comfort and salvation. God is doing something in me that's gonna end up being for your good. All right, now that was an interpretation thing, wasn't it? Paul didn't just do life, he interpreted life. Why is this event happening? Why is this happening, God? Why? Why is this happening? And he gets a revelation from God that because this is bringing something to my life, this is affecting me so that my life might affect others. This has value now, doesn't it? This is not meaningless suffering. This is a theology of suffering that I need to have. I can't just have a view that says, I want my life not to hurt. That's my number one goal, and I just want it to not hurt. What if it's more valuable for your life to hurt and eternal valuable things to get accomplished? Okay, I I can go with that. I've got to reason that into my soul. I've got to interpret life that there are good things in what feels like bad things. And that's what Paul does. He has an encounter with God that gives him an answer for why he is suffering that would benefit others in a great way. In verse 8 and 9, Paul says he was burdened beyond his strength for a reason so that he would have to look to God and rely upon God. Listen, this is this is the this is not a fun feeling, but it is perhaps one of the most liberating, helpful things for you and I to ever get convinced of. All right when God, in His wisdom, when God, in His vast love, takes life and sets it on us, and at first it may feel doable. I can manage that. A little heavier. I'm good. I got this one, thanks God, right? We don't even come to church, barely reading our Bible, you know, doing life, then God lets the weight get a little heavier and a little heavier. Uh, okay, I'm feeling it now, feeling it now, a little back issue here, a little complaining beginning, a little questioning going on, and then God adds a little more weight and a little more weight. And a little more weight. And now you start feeling like, okay, I'm about to go over. I'm about to go over and I'm starting to panic now. This isn't gonna work. I, I can't do this. I can't do this. So a little more weight, a little more weight. All right, I'm definitely in over my head. Things are failing all around me. Uh, I am, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm terrified as to what this is about to turn into. All right. At that moment, I have just gone beyond myself and I have the opportunity to look to God to be my resource. Listen, if most of us are honest, as long as we got it, we got it, we don't look to God. As long as I got money in my bank account, I look to me. As long as I can get a loan, I look to me. As long as I've got the ability to manage a situation, convince somebody to do something, blah, 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 I got this, I don't look to God. You can say you do, All right? flatter yourself if you'd like, take a moment. But in reality, you know. I got this, God. I got this. And so the God who designed us to receive his life 24-7, we live with God on a shelf on a regular basis. I got this, God. I got this, God. I got this, God. And finally God says, no, you don't got this. Here, you want to see what you got this? And he goes ahead and says, okay, well, then take it. And it crushes us. And when we are burdened beyond our resources, beyond our abilities, And we despair of life itself. Now we're in the perfect place because when you despair of your life, you have to look elsewhere. And where do we look? Well, according to Paul, he looked to God. This happened to us so that I would learn to rely on God and not on myself. Wonderful life lesson. You will never regret learning that lesson. Now you will not like learning that lesson. But you will never regret learning that lesson. Right, so what does Paul do right here? He, he interprets life. He says, why does life feel like it's crushing me and it's about to kill me? Well, because God is teaching me to rely on him. Thank you, Lord, right? Do you see where thank you comes from? It's not just some meaningless mimic. All right, Keith said, so we gotta be thankful this way. I just walk around saying thank you like a mantra. No, no there's reasons for thankfulness. Gratitude needs... Some reasons behind it, right? There's reasons in this passage and Paul gives them. We go a little bit farther into Paul's life. You know, we got this four-year detour last week. We talked about the two-year detour in Caesarea, but he's gonna travel now to Rome and he's gonna be there for a couple more years. So he's got about a four-year detour on his hands. And so last week we looked at what it feels like to be diverted. Let me just add something to that, right? He's not just diverted, he is restrained. Life has become smaller than what he'd like for it to be. It's a jail cell. It's limitation on whether he can go somewhere or not. It's limitation on who he can see. It's limitation on how he can do ministry. Life has just become restrained and limited. Question, how do we feel about living a restrained life? It's one thing to live a diverted life. I'm living in a location that I never thought I'd be in. It's another thing to live a restrained life. Well, you know, I'm I'm living in a place that I I think I can do this but I just can never feel like life is enough or things are going well in my life. I feel limited, right? And you're not the apostle Paul, I'm not either. So you and I bump into things like financial limitations. We live in them. Four years of detour into financial limitations that you just can't do what you'd like to do. You just can't seem to pull yourself out of the hole. You can't fix it. You can't expand life. You can barely pay for life. Or matter of fact, maybe you're even having to downsize life. You're living with restrictions. Or maybe you're living living with limited opportunities. There's just no opportunity for you. It's just restrain. You want to go on, especially you're in that 20, 30-year-old range, you you want to pursue some things, but the, there's no opportunities. There's no opportunity for to find a spouse. There's no opportunity to find the right job, right? You're, Living a restrained life. Or you have health limitations. Some of you know what it is to live your life chronically fatigued. You just bump into exhaustion a lot. Maybe you can't figure out why, where is it coming from? But life for you often is you running out of gas. And just fighting to get through the day over and over. No, you'd like for life to be bigger. You'd like to be doing more. Or chronic pain, right? The limitations of chronic pain. Some people live with pain in their bodies that every day that's part of what they manage. It's not just managing people and time and resources. It's managing pain in their body every day. And they feel limited by that, or, or limited seasons of life, right? I mean, this just this is just life. You know, some of you guys are are exiled. Some of you moms, in particular, and the fact, the dads the same way. You're like exiled to infant island. <laughs> you ever, you ever feel that way? Just all of a sudden, this baby came along, and then those, some of you decided to add another baby to an existing baby, pretty quick, and all of a sudden, you're just exiled to infant island. You, you know, and, and get rid of Facebook, just get, just serve yourself, get rid of it, don't don't hoist a periscope to, to look at what the rest of the world is doing, it will drive you nuts. Because it looks like everybody else has got a life. <laughs> but you, what are you doing? Well, you're just at home with the baby over and over and over again. I'm just, I'm living in exile. I know there's real people out there who are really doing life, but not me. Right, that's what life feels like, right? And, then, and then, then some of you are not, you don't have any infants, but you, you're sort of uh, trapped in the cavern of being a caretaker, right? It's just you isolated alone in a cave with an older person. You ever see the commercial? There's an, a, I think it's an AARP commercial. It's a, it looks like a son who's visiting his, his mother in a home. And, and it's just, it's silent and he is screaming. He's sitting next to her and all you can see is him screaming because of how difficult it's become for him to care for her, right? And I see you guys walking through that. I've kind of been walking through some of that in a season in my own life where the difficulties of caring for aging family members, has isolated you, and your life used to be this big with this many people in it, this many events in it, and you can't remember the last time it was easy for you to pull off going to a covenant group meeting. Because you got to jump through hoops and arrange things and have somebody step in, and, and it's just so much trouble, and, and you're tired as it is, right? All right. This is this is Paul living a restrained life. Ours is a little different, but nonetheless, in those moments, in all Circumstances give thanks. And that's, that's what this passage is saying. All right, so that was Paul's idea. When Paul started his voyage, he launched his ship. First Thessalonians is one of the first letters he writes. And he says this, in all circumstances give thanks. So right, let's check in with Paul later. Let's see if he's changed his theology. Paul, you still want to say that? You still believe in all circumstances give thanks? So we fast forward ahead now to AD 62. So we're about 12 years later, and a lot of life has been lived by this man. And we pick up Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And sitting in a jail cell in Rome, Paul writes this to the Ephesians. Verse 18, he says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving Thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. It sounds like Paul's theology hasn't changed at all, has it? Where he said before, give thanks in all circumstances. Now he says, give thanks always and for everything. That sounds pretty much like the same dude. But Paul's life experience it's been pretty difficult and challenging and interesting for the last 12 years, and he writes from jail. And he formulates a view that giving thanks always for everything is the attitude of a Christian. Charles Spurgeon speaks of this passage. He says, the apostle... Having touched upon the act of singing in public worship, here points out the essential part of it, which lies not in classic music and thrilling harmonies, but in the melody of the heart. Listen, can I just let you raise a little internal question here? Uh, When we gather here on Sundays to download songs to God. That's what we do, right? We come together, we stick songs up here. The band helps us get in touch with these wonderful truths. It's one thing to read a wonderful truth. It's another thing to sing it. It uses a different part of your brain. It uses a different part of your affections. And so singing, singing kind of is an overflow event. Right, I can read stuff and I can read it dispassionately. I mean, when you guys ride down the highway and you read traffic signs, does it really do something for you? Is your heart going, oh, exit number 58. You know, no. But when you sing, I hope you don't sing the same way you read exit number 58. Singing is overflow. Singing is spilling over of what's in my heart. And ah, that's the perfect song for me. Just let that flow out of me to God, right? That's what he's referring to. When we come together, that's why singing should be loud. It should be intense. It is a form of giving thanks always for everything. Because we ought to be able to sing in any moment. That's what Paul started this thought off as. Always singing. In our hearts, making melody in our hearts, that there is a song, that there's something about God, that I've interpreted life in such a way that I see these things and I can sing about what looks like the most horrible, tragic, difficult moment in my life. But I can sing about it. Spurgeon goes on and says, Thanksgiving is the soul of all acceptable singing. Note also that this verse immediately precedes the apostles' exhortation to believers concerning the common duties of ordinary life, right? The rest of the book of Ephesians is all about relationships and duties and activities. The saints are to give thanks to God always, and then to fulfill their duties to their fellow men. The apostle writes, submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God, and then he adds the various branches of holy walking, which belong to wives and to husbands and to children and to parents and to servants and to masters, so that... It would seem that thanksgiving is the preface to a holy life. The foundation of obedience. The vestibule of sanctity. He who would serve God must begin by praising God for a grateful heart is the main spring of obedience. Our lives should be anointed with the precious oil of thankfulness. Right, so... You know, I think I may preach preached a message one year. Thanks, uh, Thanksgiving, don't leave home without it. Don't, don't try and do marriage without a heart coated in thankfulness. Don't try and do parenting. Don't try and be a servant, be an, an employee, God forbid, for some obnoxious boss. Without having a heart that's coated in thanksgiving. In all things, give thanks. In all things, give thanks. Well, for that boss, for that moment, for that decision, for how it affects me, in all things, always, give thanks. Right? So it needs to coat our lives. But having this attitude is only going to happen if we interpret life well. You can't really be thankful. You can use the word thank. Thank you. You can sing the songs here not mean any of them, by the way. Or you can have a heart that overflows because in your heart, your heart has seen something. Not just doing life, I'm interpreting life. That's what Paul did in 1 Corinthians and that's what Paul does here. This passage in Romans 8 is an interpretive passage. This is our last passage we're going to look at. Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says, for I consider... Right? That's an interpretive element. I'm considering something. I've got life and I've got other information here I'm bringing to touch this life. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, all right, that is both experience and theology in that statement. All right. What's the experience, Paul? It's suffering. Life is hard, life hurts. I know that's true for you, and he says it's true for me too but these sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us right if I could just stop right there did you know that right that's theology that's i understand that there's a plan in place i understand that god has a future in store well what's in that future Well, future blessings, benefits, and promises, rewards, comfort, and care. A glory that is magnificent, full of wealth and blessing. That's in the future. If you don't know about that, how can you compare? That's what Paul does. He brings the present sufferings into the presence of the future realities of his life. This informs this so that he can look at the sufferings and still be thankful And give thanks. Listen, in and of themselves, sufferings don't inspire any gratitude. It's not until you expose them to theology that they will inspire gratitude in you. You've got to see something else is here. And you can't be lazy about that. And you can't just pick your Bible up when life hurts, by the way. And you got to read more than Job. Although Job is extremely helpful few others. But you know, if you don't have in your heart, good theology, and then suffering comes, boy, you're going to spend a lot of time on your heels because you have nothing to interpret life with. And so all that, I wish I read my Bible. I wish I read my Bible. I wish I read my Bible. I wish I hadn't met so many meetings. I wish I had gone to school of the word. I wish I had done something to make me theologically rich. And you're impoverished in that moment and life begins to hurt. Guess what? Are well, you just going to be hurting then? Because suffering in and of itself isn't something to be thankful about. It's only when it gets in the presence of good theology that you can do that. He goes on and says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now he's opening up this plan. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Listen, that's theology, right? That's interpreting life. That's him looking out at life that, man, life hurts. Yes, it does. There's a reason why. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Did you know that? The Bible tells you that. You wondering why life hurts? Well, that's why life hurts. While there's no free ride, while there's nobody who goes through life without scars and wounds and difficulty. Listen, are you walking through life with blood dripping off your elbows because of something happened to you and you're scratching your head like, where did that come from? What? Why Why am I hurting? Why am I in pain? Listen, if you ask that question about your life, I don't want to tell you, now. I can't be nice about this. You just don't read your Bible, do you? Ouch should not be a surprise event for the Christian. You don't have to get past the first few chapters in Genesis to acquire the vocabulary word, ouch. Apparently, it's going to hurt from here on out in some way. Sometimes a little bit of ouch, sometimes a, oh my gosh ouch is going to be hitting you. So nobody should be surprised by that. Paul's explaining that. Verse 23, not only this, but, but also we ourselves are the chosen people, the people who belong to God, having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait for it eagerly. And then later in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, when I bring that thought into the moment of suffering and difficulty... I can now give thanks always for everything, can I? Because everything is under the hand of God's working. And, and I may not fully understand all that's God's doing. God may be teaching something into my soul that's going to benefit others and bring comfort to them, being bring salvation to some. Because I went through something that was so difficult and consumed my life and knocked me over so bad. So that one day I could stand in front of somebody else who's going through that same exact experience and share with them the reality of Christ and salvation comes into their lives. Was it worth it now for you? Yeah. It was very worth it, wasn't it? This verse here in Romans 8, it is a rescuing verse because here is our tendency. Our tendency is to cling to everything natural. Cling to it. My life comes from that. My life comes from the money. My job, my life comes from my wife and my life comes from my children. And we just put our hands with all of our strength around those things and we're committed to holding on to them and getting life from them. And God is committed to us setting our hope somewhere else. And so we groan and we go through suffering for the same reason Paul did so that we can learn to let go of these things and to put our hope in God and God alone. Listen I wish, I wish I had an hour just to explain. Do you know what this would do for your marriage? If you'd stop squeezing the stinking life out of your spouse and just let God be God and just let your poor wife be your wife or your husband, just be your husband. How about if he's not your savior? He's not your reason for living. He's not your deliverer. He's not your everything. I know that sounds cute and it's great in a Hallmark card. But I, my wife ever gives me a card that says, honey, you're my everything. I think I want to edit it and just kind of scratch it. No, babe, I'm something, but <laughs> I'm not your everything. Trust me, <laughs> right? And so God in his mercy comes along. You got to interpret life. Is God right now prying your hands off of things? He's trying to rescue you from idolatry. He's trying to rescue you from being severely, severely disappointed in that thing. That's a good thing thank you, God. Thank you for the painfulness of you ripping my fingers from this thing to liberate my heart so that I only look to you. God, thank you. Do you understand? That's theology interpreting life. All right, last point then. We're going to celebrate communion together in closing. Thanksgiving involves two must-do components. Number one, intentional interpretation. Life doesn't just happen. It must be interpreted. Please hold on to that. Life doesn't just happen. It must be interpreted. And you and I are responsible for that. Second, the actual giving of thanks. Giving of thanks. Not just having, you cannot walk from this message with a concept of thanks. In you, you have to actually give thanks, you actually have to put it into words. you have to let it seep into your soul so that it flows out of you with genuine thankfulness there 's a little bit of work going on in this regard now this is, this is very important, because I think it 's why so many christians don 't experience the the good of this right, here 's here's my illustration I think i stuck in your outline there a warning there right? 's no no automatic overdraft protection. <clears throat> All right, this is what some of us do. We're very aware of what I call our checkbook existence. Right, we've got an account. It's what we live our daily lives out of. It's our checkbook account. That's the one that's almost always flirting with being overdrawn. Right? So we're, we know we can't get to the end of the month. We know we're not going to be able to pay that. We, we know, oh, and I'm managing. Oh, How am I going to do it? How am I going to make it this month? How am I going to make it this month? Well, see, this strange thing has happened in God's kingdom. God has put another account in your name. It's his account. It's an account full of righteousness and promises and forgiveness and a future and a hope. It's a very, very, very wealthy investment account. So you actually have two accounts. Now the problem for most of us as Christians is we only pay attention to this one. So every month we wrestle through, am I gonna make it? Am I gonna make it? Can I do this? Will this turn out well? I'm going to go bankrupt. Oh my gosh. All the while, there's another account. It's full of riches. Amazing deposits have been made and your name has been put on that account. Can I just tell you, there's no automatic overdraft protection. If you want to experience the good of this, you're going to have to, by faith, reach into that account and stick it into your checking account. You can't just assume, hey, well, when I get overdrafted, you know, God will just show up and all of a sudden, amazingly, I'll just feel good about things. No, you're going to have to believe something about God. You're going to have to know something so that you can believe something about God. So you're going to have to look at that account, find out what's in it, pay attention to it, be amazed by it, marvel at it, recognize you have wealth beyond this world, And then by faith, transfer it into your other account where you live your daily lives. And when you do that, I can give thanks in all circumstances because this bank account may feel like it's about to be overdrawn, but I know I've got another account. And I believe something about that and I transfer those funds. So here's what I'd like us to do. We're going to celebrate communion, and it's just very appropriate because the word associated with communion in the Greek is the word eucharistio, from which we get the word Eucharist. Right, so sometimes we think, oh, the Eucharist, that's the, that's the communion elements, right? No, no. The word Eucharist just simply means giving thanks. That's what it means in Scripture. So this meal that we celebrate it is a means of us remembering something so that we could give thanks. It is a moment for us to gaze into the account that God has put in our name and to actually say thank you to God. Uh, In just a second, you're gonna do that and you're gonna recognize how infrequently you do this. Once you do the little exercise, right? You got a little outline there. You got a bunch of blank spaces. Here's what you're gonna do while you're waiting to take the communion elements you're going to let your mind run into that account that God has put in your name. And you're going to write down in those spaces things that you actually want to say thank you to God for. Now, more than just writing them down, what I want you to actually do is, is I want you to say thank you to God. And then I want you to tell God why. Some of your stuff's going to be stuff that's obvious why. And some of it's going to be Romans 8 kind of stuff that, doesn't look like you should be saying thank you, but you recognize and you're thankful because you recognize God's at work in your Romans 8 moment right now. And you're thankful for that. So here's what we're going to do. While you're waiting for the elements and we're going to, everybody will, you'll get up row at a time like we always do. And you just go to your right, come up, receive the elements and guys, you guys can come line up. You receive the elements, just go back to your seat, get your notes out if you're sitting there waiting to come up look at those notes start making a list I only put 14 spaces there you can fill those up pretty fast if you really take a moment but consider what is it Lord that I in this moment always in everything want to give you thanks for Father as we turn our attention to this meal of communion, this meal of remembrance, this meal that's supposed to put us face-to-face with this investment account that you've given to us? Or would you stir in us an interpretation of our lives that allows us to say, Lord, thank you for this and for this and for this and for that person. These circumstances, Lord, thank you for this season, Lord, thank you for right now, thank you for right now in my life. Lord, help us to be thankful. Let's go ahead and you guys, if you guys in the front would begin just to come up and take the elements and return to your seats. Go back to your notes there.
1: Lord, I come, God, I come Return to the Lord The one who's broken The one who's torn me apart You struck down to bind me up You say you do it all in love That I might know you
0: for everyone to be served. You have your list in front of you. Maybe consider, when was the last time you just stopped and loaded up your heart with that list and turned to God, meditated on them individually and said, Lord, thank you. and faces and lives walk up here and receive communion and know for some this is a tough moment to say thank you. It's a moment that for some of us demands a whole lot more interpreting than maybe for others. This meal sets before us a remembrance 1 Corinthians 11, familiar passage says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks. Do you know what night that was? That was a few hours before Gethsemane when the son of God would be betrayed and he would begin to feel the weight of the wrath of God being set upon his life. And he knew that day was coming and he broke the bread and in all things, Everywhere, he gave thanks. No one was facing a more difficult moment ever. And he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. He reminded them, my body is being broken for you. I am standing in your place and I will be crushed by what would have killed you and I will take up your life and mine and be crushed on your behalf. That's what we remember with this bread. Let's take the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he is coming. He's coming back. And you remember that every time you have this meal, that this is what you do until he comes. Because you have a future and you have a hope. And this cup refers to a covenant. It's not too far of a stretch to say this cup is what makes you aware that there's this giant investment account that's now in your name. It belongs to you. It's full of righteousness and mercy and forgiveness and love and patience. An inheritance, a future, That's what's in this account, that this covenant reminds us it belongs to us. Remember that every time you take the cup. Let's drink. this week with having a week that features and highlights a holiday called Thanksgiving. Lord, in light of what we have observed today, Lord, nobody ought to be celebrating this holiday more loudly than we are. Lord, what a list we have received of things to be thankful for. And Lord, even the list that most people couldn't put together, we can put together. Because, Lord, you've told us about suffering and you've told us about purposes behind it and you've told us about a future and the good and the freedom you're bringing into our lives and the work that you're doing for us to set our hope in you and you alone, Lord, liberating us from things that would destroy us or control us. Lord, we wrote down some things, but Lord, would you give us grace this week and would you stir in us this week? moments where we just stop and our heart overflows we gaze on the list of what you're doing in our lives and we just stop and say Lord thank you no seriously Lord thank you I mean that Or take us this week into a depth of thanksgiving that perhaps we've never known but we have always needed this we ask, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But thanksgiving-filled week.